You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Good afternoon and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Our guest today is a longtime friend. I noticed I didn't say an old friend, a longtime friend uh, who I've also followed for many years. He does a weekly, I think it's a weekly update on his uh, opinion of the economy and what's going on. And on the latest one, I thought, oh, this is a good topic. I want to have him here to share it with us on The Real Wealth Show. So Michael Ryan, welcome. Thank you, Kathy. Always happy to be around and be included in the larger conversation. Yeah. Well, you've been a mortgage broker for 30 years, <laughs> working with first-time home buyers and commercial investors and single-family, multifamily, all kinds of uh, different people. So that really gives an insight as to what people are doing, right? So I think that's a wonderful perspective to bring to the show, which is you know, what I want to talk about. This first question, a lot of people are concerned that real estate is in a bubble. Prices have gone up dramatically over the past year and certainly over the past five years. Uh, a lot of us still walk around in fear that a 2008 is around the corner because that was a tough time. Um, also right. a really great time for investors. So there's some investors hoping it will happen. Uh, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's what's driving it. We've, you know, we recently, uh, and I think it was the same down in SoCal where you're at, but uh, here in 2017, you know, we had, you know, what I call a double tap on the market. You know, the real estate market, springtime through Mother's Day, you know, we get that bump up. You know, usually we get all of the annual appreciation before June. Right. And and then, you know, going through summer and then going into winter, things kind of, you know, generally ease off a little bit. So like up here, you know, we could have 10% appreciation by June and then it would uh, ease off about 2% towards the end of the year. And we'd be hitting our 6 to 8% long-term annual appreciation. In 2017, we had a remarkable time to where August hit and it did a second jump. And you were talking about 25, 28% appreciation in 2017. And then everybody crying the blues because 2018, we peeled off about 8%. Mm -hmm. you know, so I've started taking this longer term perspective on what's going on in the market because it smooths out some of the aberrant bumps. 08 wasn't aberrant, you know. But, uh, you know, it still speaks to the topic. So, you know, 17, 18, yeah, we were running, you know, 10% annual appreciation. So we'd get back to what causes a bubble. And the bubble is simply defined. You've got tons more buyers than you have sellers, pure and simple. And that drives up the prices. We see it now, use cars. We see it with cars, you know, not enough supply. We see it in the construction trades, you know, not enough people working on the homes. We saw it last year with the lumber prices, incredible amount of demand and low supply. Now, the 08 bubble was also, I call it an aberrant bubble. It definitely was a bubble, no, no, no doubt about it. But what was the driver? The driver was global stupidity. <laughs> led led by the banking industry as they were as they were you know at the trough just sucking up everything they could mm -hmm. zero down stated income you know you know talking with people you know, 
a letter carrier claiming that he was making $18,000 a month and an underwriter going, oh, gee, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, come on, really? You know, so there were some of us that were talking about this train wreck coming in, in 06. Right. Uh, Bruce Norris, who you mentioned, I think he was 05 talking about this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and being poo-pooed over, oh, no, no, no. And, you know, you know so on. So, Same with Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, he was like, yeah. don't, you know, these are going to reset and we know exactly when they reset. And yeah. we already know these people aren't going to be able to pay the new payment. So, so what, yeah. what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So some of the big ones we had, it. you know, for those of us of an age, the savings and loan fiasco back in the late 80s, 80s yeah. was the same thing. It was runaway construction, runaway building. And we were talking about it in 91, 92, about D10 cats with logging chains between them going through brand new subdivisions in Texas, leveling the brand new houses that weren't selling just so they could get the property tax carry down because they weren't selling the houses. They literally bulldozed thousands of brand new homes. That was a bubble. Uh, the dot com dot bomb. I was talking about it before the bust happened. You know, kind of the same thing. We have IPOs that are running on a one-page P&L and balance sheet. You know, <laughs> uh, you know take a step global, back. Global stupidity continues and global thrives. Continues, yeah. So now we, we come through now. The only event that we're dealing with is COVID, which is medical. It's not financial. The savings and loan was financial. The dot-com dot-bomb was financial. The 08 financial meltdown was financial, but many people forget we've had many recessions in between it. In the mid-90s, we had the military establishment get reset by the government and all the military bases closing. Here in Northern California, oh my God, we got hammered. We had 15%, 20% drop in values because we were closing military bases around here right and left. All of the tech that was driving military, you know, it was gone, poof. Uh, 03, 04, we had the tech recession. Those of us in the real estate industry, we didn't, know, we didn't notice it because real estate was on fire. But that was when it was nothing for our programmer friends to go 18 months without a ride. Wow. You know, it hurt them. So we, so we have these. So a lot of the perspective I try to bring is, zoom out and get a little bit out of the weeds, the current, are we going to have a recession? Well, recession in the way that we're going to have uh, real estate values drop. Uh, you know, What's the old song and dance? Yeah, we're in a recession period unless it's your house that's in foreclosure and then you call it a depression. So again, <laughs> perspective. Yeah. I don't think this is going to crash and burn because who's going to walk away from an interest rate on their home starting with a two or a three? They're going to fight to keep it. They're going to hang on. We also have a political industry and, and banking industry that is anti-foreclosure. So we have the workouts. We have the forbearances. So that also smooths it out because as we saw in, in the financial meltdown, what it was was month over month, in a very short period of time, you had a million homes that were going through foreclosure. Mm-hmm. You know, now when you start dribbling tens of thousands of homes maybe across through foreclosure, that's nothing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the report I read is it would add like 18 days to days on market, you know? Yes. Yes. Man, and, so and, when we're, and when the days on market is a third of normal, you know, normal days on market being, you know, pick your area, 45 days going from 20 to 40, we're still just touching on normal. Mm-hmm. So these are the things we have to look at. And the appreciation's real. These are people putting down payment. This is not based on no money down. This is not based on stated income. We actually have stated income and no income doc loans, but they're just like the ones we had in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, for those who don't recall, world savings, best loan in the world, negative amortizing stated income loan. Wow. It was only available to self-employed people because we're so hard to document. Mm -hmm. And geez, we had to put 30% minimum down payment. And that's what we're seeing today? Big down payments on those? Yeah, which we're back kind of seeing that today. You know, stated income loans, 25, 30%, 35% down. Mm -hmm. So these loans are extremely safe because who's going to walk from that kind of cash that they've shoveled out of their bank account into their house? Right. So this creates that stability. And then you have the low interest rates and you know the workouts going, the COVID and everything else. And the buyers are there. We still have the buyers. A report I heard this morning, you know, the first time home buyers are still 29% of the market. That's a great number. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and many, many more coming. The, the largest cohort of millennials is 29 years old. Yeah. The average home buying age is 31. So we've got a massive wave of young people who are the highest educated that we've ever seen. And they have more access to information than our government had when we were their age. And they can work from anywhere. They're very tech savvy. So to think that uh, these people aren't going to be able to buy a house is is, it's, it's just inaccurate, especially given a really cool comment that you had made in your blog. And that was that even though home prices have gone up, the payment hasn't necessarily gone up because the interest rates are so much lower than they were in uh, 2006, right? I think in 2006, they were five, 6%. 6% was pretty normal. So we're, you know, half of that and the values are up 40%. So anybody who bit the bullet in 05, 06, you know, if they still have their home, happy, you know, that that's where real estate, and I forget if it was, if it was Bruce or somebody else who said it, real estate is the slowest, most boring yet surest way to build massive wealth in this country. You make that hard, hard step in that first time you buy. You, know, you can remember that first time you bought a house. Many properties and, and many finances since, but you still remember that first time. Oh, yeah, it was a struggle. You know, heart, it was heart a thumb, struggle. Heart thumb, heart thumb. Well, and just not understanding the language and taking on this massive commitment. And it's terrifying. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and that's the work that we do with the first time home buyers is trying to give them comfort on that. And there's two potential drivers for a real estate valuation recession or reset, whatever term you want to use. One would be the buyers leaving the market en masse. Mm-hmm. You know, the, a black swan that we don't know about, you know, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that would cause the buyers to just leave the market en masse. The second would be, uh, you know, some of the doomsayers and everything else. Interest rates are going to quadruple, you know, hyperinflation, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
I can't say that they're all lunatics out there. That's not where I'm putting my money. But these are people that are very intelligent. You know, they're reading all the same thing you and I read. They're just drawing a different conclusion. So it's like one of those. I don't I don't say I'm solid Republican. I'm solid Democrat. I'm looking at both sides. Do I have leaning tendencies? Yes, but I'm not leaning and ignoring. So that's where we have to have to watch some of this. Recent reports that I've seen, you know, talking about this, you know, scary smart people, you know, some of the people we get to, we get to read and everything is just phenomenal that they take the time to disseminate their thoughts to us. <laughs> right. Um, you have all of the inflation hawks talking about the wage inflation and it could be sticky and everything else. And then you've got the other side of the coin, equally scary smart people that are talking, going, you know, government debt loads have proven to be disinflationary. So now we have these two huge forces that are working at working against us to how is it going to come out? So that's where I say, you know, I'm not in the camp that we're going to have a real estate reset, but I'm not ignoring the potentials. Yeah, it still means you follow the fundamentals. So you don't go out and buy something based on pure speculation because it's speculative unless you're willing to take that bet, right? If you have enough money that it doesn't go well and you lose the money and it doesn't hurt you, then do it if you're so inclined. But don't just lose perspective on uh, on fundamentals. I mean, you know, I in- interviewed one of our investment counselors who said, you know, she was looking for a house in, in Austin and way overbid. She went in with the highest bid and paid much more than anyone else was willing to pay. But you know what? She wanted that house. She had the money to put down on that house. She was going to live in that house and is. And, you know, it was betting on the fact that eventually it will be worth what she paid and she's okay with it and it can afford it. And that's kind of what we're seeing across the board, right? People are being speculative, but in a way that they can handle. Yes. Because at the end of the day, they're still looking at the monthly payment. Mm-hmm. So they're looking at the stability of their economics, their income streams, and that 30 year fixed, plain vanilla your payment isn't going to change. You know, property taxes and insurance go up a little bit here and there, but it's not it's not material to the point of causing risk down the road. So we have that and that you know that's where the monthly payments and these low interest rates. The alternative loans, you know, the 5-year fix, the 7-year fix, you know, I think all of the alternatives, I think last report I I read or something, you know, that's like between 4 and 6% of the loans being written. Everything else is 30, 20, 15, and 10 year fixed, period, vanilla. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, I'm gonna, so I'm gonna read this again because I think it's really, really just a great piece of information that some people are saying a real estate bubble. You say you've got to look at the perspective based on monthly payment relative to household incomes. There's a different perspective. If you compare 2006 to today, home prices are up 41%. That's a lot, but mortgage rates are down from 6 to 3%. Household incomes are up 55% in that time period since 2006. So when you look at the payment in 2006, a $300,000 house at 6% was a monthly payment of 1800. Today a $423,000 house at 3% is less. It's $1783. So you can yeah. pay more, a lot more for a house and still be paying less than you would have paid in 2006. Right. And that's just a particular perspective. There's those that talk about, well, if the, if the rates go up, that's going to take the air out of the, out of the appreciation bubble, very, very likely. But here again, 
it's what are you doing? You have the payment locked in. So if your $600,000 house drops to 500,000, what does that mean? It means you don't sell. That's mm-hmm. all. You still have the same monthly payment, you still have the same lifestyle, you probably have the same income or better income. If you're an investor, it's almost the same thing. Your $400,000 duplex in in Oklahoma drops to 300,000. Well, your payments on a 30-year fixed, you've got a fixed payment it doesn't change. We've seen values going up and down. Don't do too much on the fundamentals of your rent. Oh, your values dropped 25%. Oh, does that mean my rent's going to go down 25%? Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Right. So, so you you shift from kind of a speculative, oh, it's 600 today. What What's it going to do? What's it going to do? But after you've purchased, then it moves back to the cash flow, income, income expense, fundamentals. So we can hold, we can outweigh. I had folks that bought at the peak in 89. What's the difference today? Their house is paid for. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And 89 is so far ago, they're not really worried about what they paid for it. So it's that long-term drumbeat. Yes. And our monetary, our economic society is built on inflation and it's inflation that gets us out in the end. Yeah. The Federal Reserve creates inflation and perhaps intentionally, but if you've got the Federal Reserve with a target of 2% inflation, you you better bet they're going to get what they want, maybe more, (laughs) right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. They have the levers they can pull to do that. Um, And it may be that our debt is so high that the higher the inflation, the, the less the debt you know, feels. And that's where, you know, the interest rate. So it's a hard one. I know, uh, you know, we're recording this afternoon. Uh, Fed speak is out again as they come out of this Federal Reserve meeting to where we're not expecting anything other than a bit more kicking, kicking the can down the road. Monetary policy is just in a sticky wicket right now with COVID, with the supply chain issues and everything else. So it, it's just, we're in a morass and it's a hard one to plot your way out of, Mm -hmm. we'll we'll get out of this and it'll be behind us just as every other recession bump in the road that we've had along the way. Currently, I'm trying to do more two-year, you know, instead of year-over-year looks, I'm trying to do Mm two-year. You can't compare to last year. You can't. Year-over-year data is ridiculous. Like you're going to compare today to a time when the uh, the whole economy was shut down that makes right, sense right yeah and and yet you know the media per se yes uh, is trained with the year over year you know the economists are all trained with year over year so i'm yeah. trying to kick out two year so last year what uh, gdp was down 3% and change for the year right this this year they're talking up 6% well, minus three plus six, that means we have 3% over two years. Oh, geez, that sounds like that same, oh my God, we can't get out of this one and a half percent annual GDP growth that everybody was whining about back in 2017, 2018. And yet we're kind of still there again. You know, so, so not discounting the pain and the agony of COVID. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just you know, taking, taking the step back. Where are the big arrows going? You know, is the market going up or is the market going down? Not getting down in the in the tule weeds, looking at 
oh, geez, the interest rate moved 0.002% on the 10-year this morning. What's it going to do tomorrow? No, no, no. Stay out it's of It's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, very good. Okay. So overall outlook, where would you be putting your money today? I'm actually in the process trying to, of an age, trying to simplify my life. You know, my mortgage work, I'm actually moving into the, the semi-retirement. So I lean more on the associates than the Michael Ryan. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I do, I do all you. the front end work. You know, I have other, other interests in life, mm. uh, but moving to a less management intensive, probably next year, move out, move out of my apartment building. I, I, I have a duplex here in the Silicon Valley that I've had for, you know, 14, 15, 16 years that I'm running a business out of. So again, you know, just for me, simplifying. And uh, it'll probably be a combination of some of the um, Delaware, you know, potentially some into the Delaware Statutory Trust because I like a little bit of, you know, a little bit of speculative because I'm a real estate guy. You know, I I need to have a little bit of juice there. we got to have some fun. Some there. And actually going back to some of the axioms I was taught in the late 80s and early 90s, and I will probably go into uh, some brand new builds. Just keep it simple, single family. Yeah. Uh, That's what our members at Real Wealth are really flocking to when we can get them. It's hard to find new builds, but um, it certainly takes a lot of the surprises out of the equation if you have a, a new home or, you know, a new building that you're invested in that has a warranty on it, right? For 10 years. Yeah. There's, there's that. And it's also the, the, you know, the class of tenant that you're getting. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, we've played around in the, in the scratch and dent industry for, you know, for years. Mm -hmm. And when I was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, that was fine. You know, now I really don't, I'm not too jazzed about getting, getting the phone call that, uh, okay, the plumbing's caused a problem again. Maybe we better redo that sewer line now, yep. you know, which was, was not a problem at the, at the, at the scale I was working, you know, never really that big, but, you know, still pushing and running, managing 30 doors uh, yeah. that helped keep my, keep my nose in what I was doing. It gave me enough distraction to where I could keep out of the minutiae of what did the 10-year T do yesterday. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, that's what I look at. Still absolutely firm believer in, in the real estate, just because that axiom I mentioned earlier, the lowest, slowest, most boring way to build wealth known to known to man and God. And I let you know, keep it simple, sweetheart. You know, the cat principle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I hear you. Uh, okay. Well, thank you so much for being here on the Real Wealth Show and, and sharing your insights. Always a pleasure, Kathy. You have a fabulous day. And thank you for joining me here on the Real Wealth Show. Join Real Wealth today to find out how to build wealth with new and renovated single family rentals. Membership is free and will give you access to our investor portal, where you can view sample property proformas and then connect with our network of resources nationwide including experienced investment counselors, property teams, lenders, 1031 exchange facilitators, attorneys, CPAs, and more. And these professionals come highly recommended by our over 56,000 members. To join, go to realwealthshow.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. 
For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.